Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. Welcome to the LeadX Leadership Show, everyone. I am Kevin Cruz. So glad you're here. We are going to help you to stand out and to get ahead. And today on the show, the book you're going to hear about will go down, I believe, as one of the best books of 2018. The author and I talk about the difference between building your network and leveraging it, the balance between being a modest team player, being humble, and being a self-promoter, and the pitfalls of perfectionism, and so much more. But first, if you want to become the leader everyone wants to work for, if you want to become the boss you wish you had yourself, visit leadx.org, check out the LeadX Academy. You can check it out for free for three days. Over 200 micro lessons on employee engagement, communication, leadership, and so much more. Our quote of the day, getting past those labels for me, it's pretty much really easy because I define myself. Serena Williams. Now, our guest today is one of the leading voices when it comes to women's leadership. Since the publication of The Female Advantage in 1990, it's still in print, by the way, she has written five more books in the field and speaks to audiences all around the world. Her new book is How Women Rise, Break the 12 Habits Holding You Back from Your Next Raise, Promotion, or Job. Our guest is Sally Hagelson. Sally, welcome to the show. Kevin, it's great to be here. Now, we are going to talk about your new book in just a minute. I'm very excited for it. But I always ask our guests the same first question, which is, what leadership advice would you give to a first-time manager? A first-time manager. I would give the leadership advice to, from the very beginning, from the first day, focus on doing an excellent job, but also focus on getting visibility for the work you do and starting to build connections from day one. I think that's really important. And what I notice is that people who decide they're gonna keep their head down and just do a great job, that's terrific. And doing a great job is important, don't, don't get me wrong, but that if you're not also thinking in terms of the visibility and you're not also building connections that provide you with the visibility and also support, uh, you're going to start to feel isolated and you're not going to be as effective. I, I love that advice. And I know you expand on that in your new book, which again is How Women Rise, Break the 12 Habits, Holding You Back from Your Next Raise, Promotion, or Job. And I wish we had time to go through all 12 habits. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> we, we don't. But why don't you kick us off, pick one of your favorite uh, habits to talk about and to help people with? Okay, the favorite habit, I'll, uh, I've got about three of them that are, I think, really fundamental for women. And I want to emphasize, uh, as you said, that I co-authored the book with Marshall Goldsmith, and he's a coach. So what we're able to do is not only describe the 12 behaviors that in our combined many decades of experience are most likely to get in women's ways, but we're also able to provide a real template for dealing with them in an effective uh, and manageable way so that it uh, it draws on Marshall's uh, coaching process as well. So I think That's it's great. very effective. But the behavior, one of the foundational behaviors, um, and it relates to what we talked about in the lead-in, 
uh, for women is expecting others to spontaneously notice and reward your contributions and your hard work. I became aware of this some years ago when I was doing a um, a uh, survey for a group of partnership firms, and they asked me to talk with female partners about what they found younger women, women who were associates or just coming in, were best at and what they were worst at. And it was really interesting because the answers were pretty consistent. They said they're best at doing high quality work. They're extremely conscientious. They dot the I's and cross the T's. And they're worst at bringing visibility to their work, bringing notice to their work. Often if they're complimented on their work, they'll say, oh, my colleagues did that or my team did that or it was a wonderful client or this boss is so easy to work for, all of which may be true and which is a very generous response, but almost pushing aside any kind of credit uh, that they could claim for that. So when I began doing workshops, which I've really done now for the last 30 years for women all over the world, about developing leadership skills, I often start by asking, you know, how many of you are good at drawing attention to your achievements? And I get very few who often are. And when I ask them, why, why do you think you're not good? I get one of two responses. One is what I just said. Well, if I do great work, I think people should notice. Maybe in an ideal world, that's true. It's not true on the planet that most of us live on, particularly given uh, how busy people are today. And the other thing I hear is, if I have to act like that jerk down the hall to get noticed around here, I would rather not be noticed. So that's putting it in a very either or frame. Either I'm a jerk and a constant self-promoter talking about nothing but myself, or I just hang back and hope people notice. Um, the first is untenable, and the the second is pretty ineffective. So finding a way to really get comfortable claiming your achievements and um, making sure that they're recognized is really key to success. Yeah, and I think I mean it goes without saying that that all of these bad habits. There are plenty of men who who may have them as well. Yeah. They exhibit uh, more highly uh, in women. And I, I like the way you talked about it's not an either or because I, even myself, I was raised, my father was, God forbid, I would do a good play on the Little League baseball field uh -huh. and cheer or something. He would he would tell me afterwards, like, you don't boast, you don't brag, you don't draw attention to yourself. So my messages were always, the work will speak for itself. Uh -huh. uh, you always, if anybody asks you about something that you've done yourself, you always put the word team in the first sentence. I can yeah. still see many <laughs> professional athletes use that trick. Um, yeah. and, and so it's hard for many of us, I think, to yeah. say like, wait, I'm just going to now be a braggart. I'm going to be that person everybody hates. And you're like, it's not an either or. There's a no. middle ground. There's very much a middle ground. And and everybody needs to find that kind of individually. Um uh, in their, you know, and how they interact with people. Let me give you an example of something that was really successful that we talk about in the book. A number of years ago, I was doing a workshop at a technology company out in Silicon Valley. And there was a young woman uh, who was an engineer there. And I was talking about this characteristic. And she said, boy, do I know what you're talking about? She said, uh, about, um, a couple months ago, she'd gone away on the retreat for her performance review with her boss. 
And she said, I've always prided myself on being a really good connector in our organization. She said, and a lot of engineers aren't. Mm. Uh, She said, so I always thought that was something good. I I help people. I get resources to flow. People ask me questions. I know a lot of people in our organization. She'd only been there about six years. And when her, uh, so her boss in his evaluation said she does great work, but she needs to know people in the organization. She said, I went away from that feeling so bad about myself and like he doesn't know me. He doesn't value me. Maybe I should leave. Maybe I'm not a good fit here. I'm really going down the rabbit hole. And then she realized after about two weeks, she thought, how would he know? I never (laughs) told him. He doesn't watch my office. He doesn't monitor my email. So she decided to, to try start emailing him once a week, just very quick, say, Jim, here are some of the people I talked to this week. And then just list them. That's all. And after a month, he came up to her and he said, this is so valuable what you're doing. He said, this is information I need to know because I know now who our unit is connecting with. And she thought she'd be wasting his time or that he thinks she was bragging. So she really learned a great lesson. And what she found was that there is a way to do that that's comfortable for you, that's actually informative and helpful to other people. Uh, it's a good, a good technique. Uh, so practical. And what I love about it is, look, in an ideal world, we would never have to manage up. I mean, you know, our, our leaders would, would have one-on-one meetings with us every week yeah. and never miss them and know exactly what we were accomplishing and who we were meeting with. But that's not always the real world. And this is a very simple technique, uh, very non-threatening to your boss of saying, okay, hey, end of the week, just wanted to do a check-in. Here's the people I've met with and the things. Just wanted to keep you in the loop. You know, very subtle and and great for the boss, great for the manager. Yeah. And also becomes almost like a, uh, a diary, a work diary. I mean, can you imagine how valuable that is when it comes time to do your annual review or to think about areas for growth for the next year to look back at your own notes week by week? So I love this idea. That's exactly right, Kevin. And, and this woman who I kept in touch with, Ellen, uh, who went on to real success out there in the Valley, ending up doing some some venture work. But she said to me, she said one of the she said one of the side benefits of that, she said, was I could go over those emails and I could see all the people I had connected with. Great. She said and that was a real resource for me. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're just it just takes a little imagination, and a little practicality. And the other point you bring up is. This is so the world of work today is so much not the ideal world. I mean, the advice your father gave you on the skills, <laughs> that might have been good for the workplace of the 1960s right. or 70s, right. you know, when there was plenty of staff and people had plenty of time to talk and communicate and hang out and, you know, watch Jeopardy after work <laughs> together in somebody's office. We're in a very different world now. And uh, people need their attention drawn because everybody is pressed. Yeah, this is golden stuff. Uh, what's another bad habit that we should learn to overcome? Well, I think one of the one of the things that I've o- often seen with women is putting their job before their career. I was hoping you is- were going to talk about this one. <laughs> I love this. This is great. And that is investing too much effort in trying to do as good a job as you can. You know, you get a 96 and your first question is, okay, how can I get 100? Mm -hmm. You don't need to get 100. A 96 is good enough. Again, you need to spend more of your time thinking about where do I want this job to lead me? 
Um, who do I need to connect with, etc. One of the things that people often forget is that when you do a stellar job and really become known for that, you often become indispensable to your boss. One of the women uh, profiled in the book who I worked with, uh, she was in financial services up in Boston, and she her boss actually said to her, you came up for this job, which is a job in an area she wanted. He said, but I told them I could not afford to, to lose you. Mm. And she said she went away feeling good about that. <laughs> and then after about a year, she thought, what? Does that mean I'm stuck here forever? And she actually went into his, when a great posting came up, she went into his office and she said, I will slip my wrist to get this job and I need you to help me. And they moved ahead with it. Um, Often people get stuck in jobs, valuing their job over over their career because they feel an excessive loyalty Mm. to their boss or to their team. And women especially can spend so much time nurturing their team that they get identified also as um, internally focused. Mm. Because they're focused on the team rather than focusing on outside. In this book, what we're really talking about, Marshall and I, it's it's to some degree based on his fundamental insight in his great book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. One of my favorites. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. That the behaviors that get you to a certain point in your career don't help you later on. And I think this is a particular example of this. Doing a great job uh, and putting your job over your career can be useful in earlier stages of your career. But when you need to be more outward facing, um, you can get you can really get caught by that. And so it's the typical kind of thing that that can get in somebody's way as they're trying to position themselves to really move higher. Yeah, and the reason why I was so excited that you you address this is, you know, I, I'm passionate, and some of my work is in the area of of productivity and time management. Uh-huh. And so often, I hear from these high achievers yeah. who are working crazy long hours every day, often six or seven days a week. And any time you would suggest that they take time to learn and develop a new skill, to um, nurture their relationships, their yeah. social capital to spend more time on their physical health or with their, even their family, any of the, or to become mindful and to de-stress. They say, there's no time. Like I have to do all these things and there's all these other things I really should be doing. There's no time. And this is exactly the point. Often they're so focused on succeeding in their job, the short term succeeding in the day or the week they're totally selling themselves out for the long term. They're, they're hurting themselves in the long term. And, And on a personal level too, in yeah. terms of health, long-term health, long-term relationships at home or, or whatever. So there has to be a balance. As busy as you feel, you can't do job without also investing in career. That's true. I mean, it's an unsustainable way of operating in the world, basically. And again, I think given the nature of the technology that we operate with now, it's 24-7. It's programmed literally to exhaust us. Mm -hmm. It operates at a speed beyond human consciousness. So there is always something more to do. Uh, And I think people easily get caught in that. And it's extremely stressful for them. And guess what? It also creates stress for people around them. Because when you're in this hyper sort of get it done, get it done, super productivity mode without cease, 
people around you, whether it's your family or your coworkers, can experience that as quite stressful. Um, and one of the things that people, and this kind of overlaps the topic that we're talking about, putting your job, valuing your job over your career, it overlaps to some degree with perfectionism, which yeah. is another behavior in here because if you are trying to achieve perfection on everything you're doing, you're going to be remarkably poor at delegating because in order to delegate, you have to trust. And often people who are overwhelmed are people who think, oh, it's just easier to do it myself. It's easier to do it myself. And one of the things they forget is if you take that approach, you starve the people around you of developmental opportunities. So there are lots of ways in which that's an unhelpful um, an unhelpful practice. And I, I think just being really intentional about why am I here? What am I trying to achieve? What is my ultimate purpose in this job and also this career? You want to keep that in mind all the time and, and it will give you a benchmark to help you decide where you really want to be investing your time and where you may be uh, over investing mm. in something that's not going to be helpful. Right. So, Sally, for my audience, I often like to I tell them, try to get just a little bit better every day or every week. Yeah. It doesn't have to all happen at once. And so I like to challenge them to try something like very practical. So based on on your book, what is something that we could actually do today, either for some more self-awareness or like to send that uh, message to our boss? Is there something you want to have us try out? Yeah, I think so. Um, what would be if we're talking very much about this, putting your 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 job over your career, if you want to stay with that sure. for a minute, I would I would challenge people to sit down and write out three sentences. Why am I doing this job? Where do I want this job to lead, you know, in my life? And then thirdly, who could help me? We have a the, the sort of coaching template that we use in the book is, first of all, starting small. You're exactly right. Being a brand new me Monday morning <laughs> is not an effective uh, way to move <laughs> ahead. Um, start something really small. You're trying to get more concise in your communication. Identify one meeting where you'll be presenting this week and try to think about how am I going to be more concise? Um and, and, you know, once you, but the second part of our template is enlist allies. Mm. Nothing helps you build relationships better than enlisting other people in trying to get better at what you do. So you're having trouble, dealt, you're overwhelmed and you look at your list and think, I can't think of anything anybody can do for me. You might try asking three people who know the project you're working on trusted coworkers and say, you know, I, I'm really overwhelmed to some degree. I may be doing too much. Um, and I'm wondering if you look at, at, at what I'm doing, can you see anything I could delegate here? What are some tricks you've used that have helped you be a better delegator? I've seen you're good at it. Ask somebody who's good at it, not somebody who's going around <laughs> with their hair on fire all the time right. too. Um, and, and then enlist them into the effort Get their ideas, get their, as Marshall would call it, feed forward about right. what practices you might try in the future. I think that when you're trying to institute any kind of effective long-term behavioral change, even at the smallest level, the most important rule is really not to do it alone. Mm. It's too hard. 
it's too hard. You need fresh eyes and you need support. And there's something else too. If you're trying to get better at something, you want people to know that you're trying to get better. Because again, we're in a busy workplace. So you might have had, you might be running around stressed and with your hair on fire and you're trying to become less, you know, operate much less in that way. But people are going to know you as the person who was running around and was stressed with your hair on fire. So the only way to bring real visibility to that and to advertise that is to bring other people into the process. Because then when somebody else says, oh, boy, you know, Kevin is always on such a tear, uh, that other person can say, well, you know, I think that's been true in the past. But have you noticed, like, for example, in that meeting, how relaxed and, oh, yeah. I see. You're you're right. Maybe he is changing, and that's the way you get your reputation uh, to 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 develop along with you. It'll be more accurate when you bring people into the process. Such such great advice, and you hit on something that I've often viewed as sort of a secret to success is that so many people think that you build relationships and make friends by doing them favors by helping them. I think it's the reverse. The fastest way to make friends and really bond is when you ask someone to do something yeah. for you, when you ask for a favor. I think they call it the, the Ben Franklin effect uh, <laughs> from some myth about Ben Franklin borrowing a rare book from his his rival or something in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's just phenomenal is it brings people in, they can give you that help and it gets their awareness on how you're trying uh, to improve. I've chuckled a few times when Marshall has said some of the executives he works with, they do change right away, but it takes forever for everybody to notice it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Because they're not bringing necessarily bringing people into the loop. And that's, uh, that's really important. And I think the point you make about asking people for help is really, really important. One of the behaviors in this book, which, you know, I notice because I do all these women's leadership workshops, that is often a problem for women, is they're great at building relationships, mm. but not that good at leveraging relationships. That is bringing people in as allies saying, I need help with this. Do you have any thoughts on this? Um, are there, you know, engaging them? You know, I, I, uh, I'm getting stepped on a lot when I speak in that meeting. Could you possibly speak up on my behalf or notice when it happens? Things like that. Um, just leveraging relationships. I'm trying to achieve this objective. Do you know anyone who could help me? Is there anyone in your network who could be helpful to me? And women will often hang back from that. And, you know, some men aren't great at it either. Um, but when they do, I think often it comes because there's a sense they're not recognizing that, first of all, that exchange of favors is really how the world works. And it's a good thing. And that when you ask somebody to help you, you're really providing them with an opportunity to, in the future, ask you to help them. So it's very, there's a, an element of reciprocity right. in it. It's not about like, oh, can you help me? I'm right. having trouble. No, no, no. It's I'm having trouble with this. And you can even say, if you're having trouble with something down the line, let me know. I'm, I'm glad to be a resource for you. So it's a way of building those kind of buddy relationships that are so useful in organizations. Yeah, I'm, and I'm glad you addressed that, that chapter as well, because I wasn't quite sure I was fully getting it. And that now uh -huh. that you explained it, I, I understand that women are more likely to go ahead and build those networks, but not tap into them. And yeah. you triggered in my mind, I recently uh, met with an old 
boss and partner. He's one of the most successful business people I, I know. And we were talking. And as you were explaining about leveraging, I realized almost everything he did for me was giving me names and introductions to people. Yeah. It was uh, like breathing for him. I would ask him his advice about a certain topic and he would give me three names. I would ask advice about this topic. He would give me a name and then he's followed up with some email introductions. And I need to improve uh, at this as well. But I think at the highest levels, that's how things are done. And that's what they default to. That's exactly right. And, And as I have been observing the workplace and participating it for more and more decades, I see the people who are most successful are the best at doing that. They're the best connectors. And it's one of the reasons that that many of them seem to be less stressed and seem to have time yes. to answer requests because they're not burying themselves under lots of work trying to prove that they're a wonderful person or a worthy employee. That's right. They're really adding value in a way is very helpful. It also occurs to me that often it's a joke in uh, the New Jersey area. I'm in Philadelphia, but uh, people make fun of the often used thing of, I know a guy who knows a guy. Yeah. <laughs> sort of the answer to everything. Uh, my 30 year old car has got a bad right. muffler. I know a guy who knows a guy. Yeah. <laughs> you don't do it yourself, but you know a guy who knows a guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sally, this has been uh, delightful, and we are only in April as of now, but I'm predicting that I'm going to say that this is going to be one of my favorite books of the year. It's that strong. Uh, My listeners, I've had over 250 guests on the show. My listeners will know I don't say that very often. So this is is a special book. Um, Tell us, how can we find out more about your work and, of course, the new book? Well, the new book is available everywhere. Uh, at every online uh, supplier and in every retail store. It's also available in airports. We've got great airport displays. I'm getting photos from all around the country. People, oh, I was just in Fort Myer and I saw your book, uh, you know, featured. So you can basically get it anywhere um, from Amazon and Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, uh, et cetera. And uh, to learn more about me, visit my website, which is sallyhelgeson.com. Uh, or Marshall's website, which is Marshall Goldsmith uh, Library, or please connect with us on LinkedIn. Wonderful. We both use that platform and uh, and are very responsive in it. That's great and generous use uh, of your time. We'll make sure to put those links in our show notes. Great. Sally, thanks again for coming on to the LeadX show. Oh, it's been wonderful. Really enjoyed it, Kevin. LeadX Nation. If you like this podcast, I hope you leave a rating or a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen. I also hope you'll go to leadx.org, O-R-G, sign up for the three-day free trial of the LeadX Academy. It's the most affordable and effective online learning, downloadable tools, webinar archive, and executive book summaries for managers, leaders, and those who want to get ahead. It's the best stuff you'll ever see. Remember, leadership is influence. You are always leading. How will you lead today? 